0: Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we give you our primer on the bond market. Do they deserve a spot in your portfolio and maybe an easier way to add them? Stick around. That's coming up next.
1: Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Kraftwerk Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Kraftwerk Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or prior to complementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions.
0: Welcome back to the Check Your Balances podcast. My name is Ross Anderson, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to see you.
1: Good to see you. And when we closed last week's episode, Ross, you created
0: a challenge of sorts for us. Is that right? I did. I'm curious to hear how you have done on this Has week one gone well in your decluttering process?
1: This was a very simple challenge, right? We are decluttering. You need to get rid of things in your house, whether that be donating or selling. It should be a simple answer, and I think I do not have a simple answer. I have a a very complicated answer uh, as to how our decluttering process has gone. Uh, Immediately after finishing recording, my wife arrived home with a uh, chair and an ottoman, a rug, and a
0: new lamp. So, so I I, chal- st- I challenged you to get things out of your home, and within moments, you had new furniture pieces arriving that you were not expecting, is what you're telling me.
1: New furniture that we I was both not expecting, nor did we need for any particular reason. So I was in the hole off the bat. Now... I give myself maybe like a C- for the week because after that, we did get rid of a pretty bulky couch that we didn't need anymore. And then I consolidated some music gear. I, I, I got rid of three pieces and exchanged it for one. Um, so there were no cash transactions involved other than my wife's purchasing of these things. Uh, but I think all in all, our house is less cluttered just in a very nonlinear way.
0: So you, you took a much more roundabout approach at this. Uh, I looked around my home and I said, what's the simplest thing that I think I can sell quickly that I will not need ever again? And the thing that I latched onto was also music-related. Uh, I think I've had this somewhere in my life since 7th grade. I had a Crate combo guitar amp. It was a GX-15 amp that... I think I've literally had since I I got my first guitar lesson in seventh grade. And I'm not a guitar player. Like I took a few guitar lessons and basically gave it up for many, many years. I've kind of gotten back into playing. I've ended up with a couple of guitars in my home uh, just to fiddle around with. And I bought a pretty decent amp. I bought a Boss uh, Katana amp that uh, I'm using to practice with. And I thought, I'm never going to plug into this crate amp ever, ever again. I'm not sure why I've been moving it. I can't imagine how many times I have picked it up, put it into a truck, only to unload it and let it sit there. It was covered in dust. So I got out a cloth, wiped it down, put it on Craigslist, and within a day, I had a crisp $20 bill in my pocket. So I took the simplest interpretation. They were selling for more than that on Reverb. I didn't want to deal with shipping it. I didn't want to deal with any sort of nonsense our listeners that are currently waiting for coffee mugs that I am slow at sending out can tell you how bad I am at shipping things. So I wanted the simplest, cleanest transaction I could get. And that's what I did.
1: I'm hoping this week looks a
0: lot more like that for me than last week did. I'm, I'm excited to hear uh, what you've got. So I'm ahead on the money board at, at $20. That's not exactly a scorching lead. I think you can easily overcome that. But it sounds like you're way ahead of me in terms of the volume of stuff you got out of the house.
1: Uh, there were a lot of things moving out of this house. So uh, I got rid of two guitars and an old keyboard and acquired a really awesome new Stratocaster, a pink one, that both my daughter and I are in love with. Um, but I definitely want to put something up on the money board for next week. Uh, I'm gunning for, gunning for first place.
0: All right. Very good. Well, that's not our main topic this week, even though I do like the challenge. And we would love to hear from anybody out there that is also decluttering their home. Check your balances at outlook.com is the email address for us. We'd love to hear from you. But today we are talking about the bond market, a market that is, in terms of dollar value, much larger than the stock market, but certainly not the sexy thing to talk about. And bonds, I think, have gotten. A a, just a deep misunderstanding both with consumers in terms of how they work and then ultimately what's going on in that space. I I don't think people understand how to buy them. I don't think people understand how to evaluate what they're going to get or in some cases why you would even have them in a portfolio. So we just wanted to unpack how we look at bonds, what's been going on in that space this year, which has shifted quite dramatically. And how to think about it moving forward, potentially for your portfolio, if that's appropriate. Dan, let's start high level in the simplest terms. What is the purpose of bonds in a portfolio that you're designing? There are a couple main
1: purposes of a bond in our portfolio. So, one is to generate income. So, when you own a bond, you are lending money to a borrower, whether that be a government or a company. And in exchange for that, they are paying you interest. So part of that is to generate cash flow. Cash flow is a good thing. The other reason for bonds in a portfolio is to introduce something just to keep it simple that's different than stocks. So stocks are going to move in one way and in theory bonds are not going to move in lockstep with stocks, which introduces diversification. So you know if the stock market is going haywire in a bad way, in theory you have this pot of money in bonds that won't necessarily be doing the same thing. Those are really the two main reasons for bonds in a traditionally diversified portfolio. Now we can dive deeper into other specific reasons why you might own a bond, but you know we'll keep it there to,
0: to start. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but the thing about a bond that a stock does not have in most cases, well, stock never has this, but the thing that a bond in most cases will have is a maturity date. And the same way that on your mortgage, when you take out a debt, when you borrow money, you have a fixed payment that goes back. A bond typically doesn't have a fixed payment where you pay a big piece of the principal and a big piece of the interest each month like you do on a mortgage. right? So on a normal 30-year mortgage, they're going to slice it up and you're going to make 360 different payments over the life of that loan, or if you choose to refinance it or you sell the home you pay the whole thing off in one lump, right? That's that's how the mortgage works, which gives it some really interesting characteristics. Bonds don't do that. The entire debt is paid back in most cases at the end. I'm going to use a bunch of generalizations because there's there's weird stuff and there's all sorts of different bonds out there, but I'm just going to talk about very vanilla bonds in this way, right? And so Think about it this way. It's it's almost like a balloon payment mortgage. So, if you borrowed $1,000, you pay the interest over the however many year period that you take out that $1,000 loan. So, you just pay the interest along the way. And on the final day, you repay the $1,000. That is what maturity works like on a bond. And the reason that that's important is that if you are an investor, especially close to retirement, if you are within a year that you need cash flow predictably in the next year, two years, three years, four years, right? In the next short term where we can say right now, I would like to make sure that in 2023, in 2024, that I have this cash available. You can do that with the maturity dates on a bond right? We can choose a bond that's going to expire or mature at the end of this year and create that cash flow certainty. That's the important part for me, uh, especially from a tool that we're going to use for, for people that are in retirement is that cash flow predictability is something that you can't get with almost any other instrument uh, that, that is going to give you that big lump sum back on a specific date.
1: But what makes it so hard is a lot of people's experience with bonds is not owning individual bonds where you can sync up that maturity to a cash flow need, but rather I would say the vast majority of investors are holding bond funds which are less transparent. If you held a bond fund this year, your experience has probably not been great. You've seen values drop of that bond fund and are not necessarily seeing the benefits of increased interest rates. Immediately, at least. So it is very different to own a fund than it is to own an individual bond, even though underlying that bond fund, you know, you're getting some of the same economics. It's just less transparent within it.
0: So I think that that's the key difference. And on a bond, on the day that you buy it, you know what you're going to get. Essentially, right? Uh, And again, I'm talking about very vanilla bonds. There's all sorts of different like bells and whistles that get added to them, things like floating rates, which you can think of as like a variable interest rate mortgage where the interest rate is going to change, right? Uh, Ignoring that, on the day that you buy a vanilla bond, it's got what's called a yield to maturity or a yield to call or a yield to worst. Let's quickly go through those, right? So, yield to maturity basically means that for the length of time they borrowed the money, If they pay it back over that time period, this is what you're going to get. That number is typically presented annualized. So, when you see like a 4% yield to maturity on a three year long bond, you're going to get 4% per year if you hold that bond between now and the end of its life, right? When it matures, when you get the money back, that's what you're going to get.
1: Though you may have a 4% yield to maturity, that doesn't mean you're going to see a 4% coupon rate on the bond which can be very confusing for people too. So you might see a 4% yield to maturity with a 2% interest rate on the bond. Why would you see something like that?
0: Okay. So this is where it gets confusing because it's the price at which you pay for the bond. So when they pay back, they all pay back at par, right? So it's typically at 100% of the face value. But when you buy the bond, you might be buying it at 98 cents on the dollar or 96 cents on the dollar at the time of purchase. And so even though it's a bond that says I'm paying 2%, if you're buying it for 96 bucks instead of a hundred, when you get the maturity payment back, you're going to have made the two percent they're paying in interest. You're going to get the difference in the price between that 96 and the hundred. And those things combined are what lead to that yield to maturity. Right? It is both the combination of the coupon payment, so that's the interest payment, as well as the difference in the price change. The other thing that's confusing there is that that 98 or $0.96 cents on the dollar, the pricing difference between now and the end, between now and when it matures, we have no control over that. That may continue to fluctuate and you may go through periods where it looks like you're losing money on the bond right? because it is priced down. Maybe you bought it at $0.98 on the dollar, and today it's at $0.95 on the dollar. right? So it's gone down in value from when you bought it, and it looks like you've lost money. So Dan, how do you talk people through that?
1: So bond prices have an inverse relationship to interest rates. When interest rates go up, as they have been, bond prices go down. Why is that? Well, if the current interest rate for bonds is 5%, and my bond is paying 2%, why would somebody pay the par value for my piddly 2% bond? They're going to want a discount on that because they could go to the market and buy a 5% bond just as well and make more money. So my bond has been priced down. Though it has been priced down, as Ross mentioned earlier, if I'm waiting till maturity, I am still expected to receive that same 4% yield to maturity that I was quoted when I bought the bond. So the bond price will fluctuate until the end, but at the end, I have a known payout, unless there's a default, that I should be receiving. So I know the trade-off when I buy my bond. And as long as I'm willing to sit on my hands, I'm not worried about what the market's pricing my bond at because I know what I have.
0: That's both a weird thing for stock investors and also, I think, disconcerting, right? Because When you buy a stock, you have a very uncertain future. What you're hoping for is that you get a growth in the price of the stock, that what somebody is willing to pay you for that company in the future is more than it is today. Maybe you're hoping for a dividend payment, which you could think of like that bond yield. That is also uncertain. The company doesn't have to do that. Now, there are companies that have been paying consistent dividends. You've got the dividend aristocrats and dividend kings and all, you know, companies that have paid a dividend basically forever or what feels like forever. And so you could say, yeah, I think it's likely they continue to do that, but they don't have to. And that's very important. In a time of distress, the company can restrict that dividend. They can completely stop paying it. They can, you know, anything that can happen with a dividend, the bond, they have to pay the yield. If they don't, if they stop paying the interest or if they are not able to repay the money at the end, that's called a default. That is literally the company going out of business in most cases. Some sort of a bankruptcy is what leads to that. So when we think about bonds, what we're worried about is not necessarily whether the company's value goes up. We're not necessarily worried about the value of the business. And again, when we're talking about a business, that would be just like a corporate bond. But if we're not worried about that, we're worried about can they pay the money back? And so that's why the standard for bonds is typically talking about the treasury. The US government being thought of as the most secure borrower. And so right now on a 10-year treasury, you've got a yield at 4.087. I'm looking at it as it ticks up and down on my screen right now. 4% yield on a treasury on basically risk-free debt. Now that's a 10-year long commitment. So for somebody like you know what? How we're talking about it right now. If you need the money in the next couple of years, maybe that's not the right tool. But that's much higher than we've seen in recent history, and I think that that's why bonds are getting a little bit more attention right now because you now have a, a pretty attractive alternative to stocks. If you were thinking, well, all I'm trying to make is like six, seven percent in a world where you're only getting two on your bonds, it's tough to get there if you if you own a bunch of bonds when you're making 4 or 5 6% on your bond portfolio i think it changes the math a little bit on how you choose to allocate that portfolio today uh, that that's really the question is should they have a bigger place now that you're getting that higher interest rate that higher yield on the bonds
1: and if you hope that interest rates are going to fall back to earth and inflation falls back to earth and you can lock in a 10 year treasury at 4% That might look very smart down the road. In the same way that people have thirty-year mortgages at two percent, you know, you might be getting a really attractive payment from one of the safest securities out there. You know, when the environment around you might be very different. I think back to when I started in the banking world, and people came to me with CDs that were maturing that were paying six or seven percent, and they were looking for something similar. And all I could offer them was half a percent. You know, people are going to be hanging on to things that are going to be very valuable. down the road hopefully hopefully if we see interest rates come back down
0: yeah now the thing that happens when these treasury yields uh, go really high is generally that the real rate of return it it sucks Um, in the moments like i'm I'm looking at the chart and i'm going to put this in the uh, show notes i'm going to put a link to this chart this is the interest rates and inflation being kind of charted against each other and where you saw the peak of the 10-year treasury was in 1981, September 30. This this goes back to 58, but in 1981, you were getting 15.84% on a 10-year treasury yield. That's massive. But even with that, your real return at that point was like nothing. It was negative, right? So so even though you were getting what looks like, I mean if I could promise you today a 16% return on a bond, I think you'd be pretty excited about it but because of the inflation at that time the the real return there was still negative but the thing to remember is that you had a 10 year forward looking window where if you had held that bond to maturity that's what you were getting and that that's the difference in the environment right so so you know that that bond is maturing in 1991 right so so through that period where inflation came back under control, you would have continued to own that bond paying basically sixteen percent annualized. right? You could have looked very smart down that road, correct. And so I, I think you know there's there's a lot of, of debate right now, uh, at least in my mind of what do you think is coming, right? Uh, I still believe that stocks are going to be the number one way to grow wealth in the long term, so so I don't want to this to sound like I'm now a bond guy because bond yields have ticked up to 4%, right? But the long-term effects, assuming we do get this under control as, as a nation of owning bonds, I think is pretty attractive because I think it's likely that yields at some point do come back down. If we do end up in recession and they may have to take the interest rates right back down again, that's kind of what the market is pricing in. And, and so you've got the yield curve essentially showing you a little bit of a bump right now at like two to three years out. So, if you're looking at the 2024s, 2025s, 2026s, those maturity years are kind of the hot spot in the market at the moment. And that's, I think, the market implying that we're likely to see rates drop after that point. Now, again, the path to get there may be that rates keep going up for the next few months that then the economy crashes, then we've got a recession, and then they have to back back off of it. And that whole cycle is what's being priced in. That's kind of what the bond market is telling me as I read it. I'm not a you know, deep dive bond trader. But as I'm looking at the yield curves, that's kind of what it seems to be saying is, is expected. Does that change your outlook on a portfolio, Dan? Are you, are you allocating differently today as a result of these new yields?
1: In general, the answer is no. I think what has changed for me is a few years ago, we used to talk with people and they would say, if they're at a stage of life where they're still growing their portfolio, earning an income fairly far from retirement, why would I own any bonds? You know, If if I have cash needs coming kind of at the midpoint time horizon in my life, why would I put this in bonds? Why would I put this in anything? Shouldn't I just hold cash? And I think the answer at that point for me was holding cash is almost equivalent to putting it anywhere short term because you're not being paid to put it in a short term bond. So why would you why would you lock it up in a security with unknown outcomes potentially when you could just keep the cash, keep liquid, have more opportunity in front of you, where now the cost of keeping it in cash is pretty high because you could be getting four percent on CDs or even like some high yield money markets or a two year treasury. So if you have a cash need you're saving up for, I think I'm looking increasingly towards things like treasuries as a way to get some interest on it while you're waiting.
0: Yeah, and so we started the show by talking a little bit about the ability to target cash flows, right? And the fact that most people own bonds in some sort of a mutual fund or really broadly diversified fund, I think is why there's so much challenge around managing them. Uh, And so I at least wanted to talk about a product category. I'm not going to talk about the specific product. And there's multiple of these. Multiple providers have them now. And this is what's called a target maturity ETF. That sounds like gobbledygook to some folks, but target maturity means that we are specifically looking for a year of maturity, right? So uh, in this case, we could be talking about 2023, 2024, 2025, whatever the year is. These products bundle bonds that all mature in that single year. You get the benefit of having owned a specific individual bond with a specific individual maturity date with the diversification of owning a fund because they spread that risk across a bunch of different bonds inside the product. But again, we know when it expires, which is at the end of that calendar year. So for somebody that really hates that kind of Bumpy, volatile ride for somebody that has an upcoming expense that they are planning for. This is a tool that we reach for pretty frequently, in addition to some individual bonds in our portfolios when they're appropriate, because you can choose when you're going to need the money. And you can see today that yield to maturity, that thing that we're looking for, that certainty on what am I going to get? Now, in the meantime, could interest rates continue to go up and maybe it prices down for a little bit? Sure. But assuming not default, so the companies don't go out of business or the municipalities, the countries, the governments that have borrowed the money don't go out of business and and default on the debt, in the meantime, we know what we're going to get back. And so if you're in this kind of position where you're watching a bond fund and you're going, ugh, this sucks, I'd encourage you to take a look at target maturity ETFs, I think that's the right term to to Google for it. And you'll find a bunch of different options out there for how to do this.
1: They're really cool because they act and look a lot more like an individual bond, as Ross said, with the diversification of owning many bonds. And at the end of the year, so if you had that 2023 target maturity ETF, it's funny to watch your portfolio because... December 31st, you own whatever the ticker symbol is for the ETF, and then January 1st of the next year, that's it's disappeared, and it becomes cash in your portfolio because that is what would happen with the bond. They would pay you back your principal or the par value of the bond, and now you have cash to either buy another bond or to do whatever it was that you expected to do.
0: All right. I'm not sure if anybody's still listening at this point, but we appreciate you. I hope that our primer on the bond market and kind of how to think about some of this stuff, or at least how we use it in our practice, is helpful. We still don't believe that bonds are going to be the main driver of portfolio growth. I'm never going to be Bill Gross. I'm certain of it. That being said, I do think that there is a very useful uh, piece in most portfolios for some bond exposure being thoughtful and understanding how they work and kind of what you're looking at, we thought would be valuable for, for you as our listeners. So thank you so much for tuning in today. If you've got questions for the show, check your balances at Outlook.com. We'll catch you all next week.